Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, August 29, 2021. It focuses on further words of prophecy from Jesus concerning the last days. The message to all who will listen is to keep watch while you serve God and people. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are here with us and that you are more than able to communicate everything that we need to hear today. And I pray that as we go to your word, that you would accomplish your purposes in our lives so that we can serve you outside of this building. If all we do is come to worship you once a week together and it doesn't change our lives, the way that we live, not only in private, but in public, uh, there's not much use in that. But God, you have transformed our lives. You've changed us. We think of the way that we used to be and the way we are now, and we're thankful for what you've done in our lives. And I pray, God, that you give us opportunities this week to be a blessing to others and to speak the words of our testimony, the words of good news throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, during a time when my in-laws were involved in prison ministry on a regular basis, I was invited to help out with an event that was taking place at the Maximum Security Unit in El Dorado, Kansas. Prison Fellowship needed volunteers to help inmates shop via a catalog for Christmas gifts for their kids. And so they were looking for volunteers to come in and kind of walk them through the process. And as these inmates would come in, we'd mark down what they wanted to get for their kids and Prison Fellowship took care of it. So it was a pretty cool thing. I happened to be free that day and I also happened to have clearance to go into prisons. You can't just walk in, by the way. You also cannot just walk out. Uh, but, uh, so the day arrived and I dressed appropriately because they do have rules about what you can wear. You don't want to look like an inmate because you don't get out if you look like them. So I got dressed and I drove to El Dorado Max. I went through the process of going through the very intimidating doors that close behind you and in front of you and all this kind of stuff and walked into the indoor gym, weight room, yard, whatever and sat down with several other volunteers and just got to visit with guys as they were coming and you could tell that they cared about their kids and it was uh, i don't know what the qualifications were i just know that we had this opportunity to do this well i was able to work both the morning shift and the afternoon shift but you had to leave the prison for a short period of time between those two because I don't know, that evidently they were using it for lunch or something. I don't know what happened between the time I left and when I came back. All I know is that when I came back in, after my lunch break, I came through the front door and there was a police officer who had a very friendly dog. Well, actually the dog was not very friendly, but it had a dog there and they had this screen set up, a little platform that I had to step up onto and there was a fan blowing past me to the dog and they were sniffing drugs and things like that. So no big deal to me because I wasn't taking drugs or anything like that. So I just went through that and back in through security, the doors opening and closing and went in and did my afternoon shift. And then uh, at the end of the day, went back home. This story came to mind this week as I was thinking about the things that we're going to read about, about the end times. We're going to hear over and over these words, keep watch because you don't know on what day 
your Lord will come. Just like walking into the prison the second time, not knowing there was going to be a drug dog there. That's how they work. You don't want people to know that that's going to happen when they walk in that door. And so it's just kind of like that. Our master says this, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. He says it over and over. This repetition is striking. If you ignore the chapter break, which wasn't there originally, you often need to just kind of ignore those things because they sometimes put breaks where there's not one. It makes it easier to find stuff, but that's the only use that there is for it. So if you ignore that, you see the repetition going over and over. So, show of hands, do you know the day or the hour when Jesus is coming back? Nope. Put your hand down. <laughs> you do not know the day or the hour. We should be a little concerned here that somebody raised their hand. All right. Anyway, there's plenty of teachers and preachers out there, folks who have large followings and small who like to point to this event or that event and speculate about how these happenings fit in with what Jesus said or Daniel said or, or Revelation said or some other biblical writer said concerning last things. And I have no problem with that at all. I have no problem with people looking and saying this might fit. You notice I said might. I get a little bit leery whenever one of these guys or gals are sure that they have got the timeline figured out or that they know who the Antichrist is already, or they don't leave any room at the table for people who disagree with them. That concerns me. I'm confident of this. Jesus will return. Absolutely confident of that. I also believe that it could be today, or it could be decades or even centuries from now. I have a commentary that I'd like to go to, Matthew Henry's commentary. He wrote it in the 1830s, and he was sure that Jesus was coming then. So we're sure that Jesus is coming. I don't know when. Hope it's soon because it's getting kind of wacky here. But hey, <laughs> Jesus is coming. Amen. Amen? All right. That's the focus. You got the whole message. Jesus is coming. Could be soon. Could be a long time. What I'm going to do is make sure that I'm following Jesus and I'm going to keep watching, keep doing what I perceive him to be calling me to do each and every day until the day that I die or until he takes me back. And we're going to keep doing that together. Whether you're here or wherever God takes you throughout this lifetime, keep doing that with the church. Keep doing that with other followers of Jesus. Yes. With your eyes on the skies, it's okay to do that. But let's make sure that we're doing what God's called us to do. Go ahead, indulge your curiosity about last things, but don't lose sight to the people that are around you in need of God's love and God's grace. Make sure that your interest doesn't become all-consuming an obsession which crowds out caring for those around you. That's what the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they weren't worried about last things, but they kind of got off focus and missed out on the justice and mercy and caring for people part. So we're going to make sure that we're staying with that. All right, with those words of instruction, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to finish Matthew chapter 24 today with those words of encouragement and caution out of my mouth. I think it's we're ready to tackle this first section of Bible today. So we're going to turn to Matthew 24 and we're going to wrap up this chapter and then flow right into Matthew 25, which is a chapter that's rich in stories. And so I invite you to read along as we finish up the final verses of 24. Matthew 24, starting at verse 36, and we'll read all the way to the end. We're taking big chunks today. Here we go. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, 
nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ignoring the rather gruesome cut him to pieces part, let's talk about this first paragraph. It's verses 36 to 41, which give pre-tribulation rapture advocates goosebumps. Because it says, one's going to be taken, the other left, and they think that that means that everybody's going to be pulled out before things get bad. And you can see that. What do I say? Uh, it's a possible interpretation. The Left Behind series, that sudden disappearance of Christians that's depicted in that book, could be what Jesus meant. It could, however, in this case means simply this, some were ready while going about their daily tasks, while some were not. And we're going to see that theme developed as we go into chapter 25. So that's a possibility as well. I recognize that the pre-trip rapture position is much more nuanced and complex than that. There are many other passages. I'm just saying that for this one passage, I'm not sure that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about this disappearance of Jesus followers that has been depicted in fiction and sometimes in theological debate. The story of the faithful and wise servant emphasizes something different. It emphasizes working for the master, not some sudden escape from persecution. It warns against getting lax in vigilance against sin. It encourages day-to-day -day service to others being about what God has given you, both of these things are urgent for the same reason. It's stated clearly in verse 50, listen and take heed, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he is not aware of. Why do we serve Jesus? We serve Jesus because of love for him, because he died for us, because his spirit empowers us. It's not fear that motivates believers, but joy. The message that Jesus speaks here is for those who would ignore him. For faithful followers, no big deal, nothing to hide, just like walking into the front of the prison and there's a drug dart there. It's just encouragement for us. To folks who reject him, however, Jesus warns of a coming judgment. Will unbelieving folks be literally cut to pieces? 
doesn't seem to make a terrible amount of sense if that's going to be an eternal punishment. But the importance is that we need to get right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever the end of those who turn away from Jesus is, it's not going to be good. It's going to be full of sorrow. There's going to be a sense of great loss. There's going to be great loss for those who refuse Christ. I think that's all I'll say about these verses. We're going to have to kind of skim across the surface here because there's a lot of material to cover. But I just want you to see today this general sense that we're to be alert and paying attention and doing what God gives us to do. So we're going to move on to the next story, which is at the beginning of Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read the first 13 verses. This is called the parable of the ten virgins. Follow along as I read the story, and it starts at verse 1. At that time, that is when the Son of Man comes, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The story, is it the same one that Jesus just told about the servant? There's a similar theme. The conclusion is the same. Keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour, but the way in which the characters keep watch seems to be a little bit different here in this parable of the virgins. Seems to suggest an alternate way to obey, whereas before we were to keep doing that work, the keep watch message here seems to be you got to have oil in your lamp. Begs the question, though, what is this oil? What is this oil that Jesus says you need to have ahead of the bridegroom's arrival, which is clearly talking about when Jesus returns, when the end time comes and time shall be no more, as we sang earlier? I suspected that I could find a wide variety of answers if I asked the internet. I was not disappointed. I found answers from the Mormons and from biblical scholars, from unknown <coughs> universities, and from unnamed authors who just threw out ideas and I have no clue what qualifications they have or what knowledge they have of the Bible. All sorts of ideas. If you go to the internet, you can find all sorts of stuff. I did find an answer that I felt fit kind of. I don't know that if I agree with everything that Gary DeVries said, but I'm going to read a little bit from what he said on Quora.com, kind of a question and answer website. Here's a little bit of what this man wrote about the oil. The oil is the symbol of preparedness, of spiritual vigilance. In scripture, oil often represents the Holy Spirit. It seems clear that the lamps represent the outward aspects of a profession of Christian faith, while the oil depicts the inward and spiritual reality of a living faith. 
We should notice that even the foolish virgins had some oil. There is a kind of work of the Holy Spirit in some people, which is sadly only temporary. So some people, you've got a little bit of stuff going on inside. You're kind of following God, but you're not. Like I said, I don't know if I agree with everything he says, but it kind of gives us a picture of those who are walking with God, but not letting him transform their lives, not changing what happens. Listen, I have said this a thousand times, and I want you to understand it. If you don't have faith in Jesus, you have absolutely nothing. Coming to church, I appreciate you being here, but it's not going to change your life, and it's not going to change your eternity. The only thing that changes eternity, the only thing that that gets you ready for the day and hour that we don't know, the only thing is faith in Jesus. Period. And then following him. It's not just praying a prayer and then doing what you want. It's praying a prayer and following God throughout the rest of your life. There is no salvation outside of a submission to the rule of God in your life, outside of the submission to God's conditions for salvation. And God says that the terms of salvation is to put your faith in Jesus. To be ready for the bridegroom's arrival is to have put your faith in Jesus. Those who've done that have the Holy Spirit, their good works and their love and their service to the church are evidence of God's presence in their life. Those who have no faith sometimes do the right thing and they can put on a show and they can treat people okay most of the time, but they kind of backbite and do all Oh, wait, we still do that sometimes too, though, don't we? Yeah. But they have no inward presence, which compels more love and corrects when we go off on the wrong path. Does this all perfectly correspond to what Jesus is trying to convey by telling this story? I'm not sure, but you must, you must believe. If your faith is in Jesus and you persevere in your faith, if we do that together, we will be saved. Helping each other is why we meet together. You remember the words from last week from Matthew 24, 13, that the one who stands firm to the end will be saved? Whatever the oil represents, those whose faith is in Jesus and who stand firm to the end, they have it. They will enjoy fellowship with Jesus and with the saints forever and ever. Stand firm then. Keep watch no matter how long Jesus waits to return. No matter how long it is till the Father says, it's time. Stand firm in yourself, but stand firm together. You know we aren't doing this by ourselves. We're together in this, and we're not going to do it very well if we try to do it by ourselves. We need each other. So find people who encourage you and hold you accountable and, and, and work with you. That's why we do church. It's not just to hear some words and then do whatever we want. It's to hear the words of God and then go and put them into practice with the power of the Holy Spirit together. We've got two more stories. And they're longer, so let's keep moving. The NIV calls Jesus' second story, which starts at verse 14, the parable of the bags of gold. You might know it as the parable of the talents. Talents was about 75 pounds of gold. So that's a pretty good, hefty amount of money. 
So here's what it says, starting verse 14, we're in chapter 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you had trusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you had trusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Before we talk about this story, I think it wise to put forward one of the most basic rules when it comes to interpretation. Always use the more clear passages to interpret the lesson clear. This story and nearly every parable of Jesus, except for the ones that he clearly interprets for us, they fit into that less clear category. Because this is true, we need to make sure that we don't give any story that Jesus tells a meaning which contradicts the more direct teachings that he has or the teachings of his disciples that come after him. Does this passage suggest our salvation is somehow, if only in part, dependent upon what we do? The more clear words on the way to salvation shout, no. Jesus is clear, says that salvation is a matter of faith. Paul says it comes by faith in Jesus by means of grace apart from works. James says that works are important. And he says, in fact, that faith without deeds is dead. But it's simply an evidence of the faith that you have. The meaning of the story then cannot mean that salvation is for those who double the investment God's put into them, they cannot suggest that salvation is by being good or doing good. It's a call again to do for God what he's given you to do with whatever he's given you to do it. You notice at the beginning, I caught it as I was reading and hadn't put this in my notes. He gave to each one according to their ability. So you're not expected to do more than God knows you can do. You do what God's given you to do, and he's given you the abilities to do it, the skills to do it, the gifts to do it. He's given you the Holy Spirit to do it through you. It seems to me that the truth Jesus wants his disciples and all of us to hear and to understand is this. Those who love their master will use those gifts and abilities for his glory, for God's gain, 
from the kingdom's gain. They won't fearfully hide away in a corner doing nothing, but will boldly and joyfully do all that Jesus gives them to do, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit and living in his power. The suggestion is that those who do nothing are actually not saved at all. There is no evidence of their faith. Their faith is, as James put it, dead, and faith that does nothing is simply not faith at all. Again, the warning that Jesus speaks he says, the end of those who have no faith will involve sorrow and great loss. Put your faith in Jesus. All right, we've got one more parable to go. This one is probably one of the most famous of all that Jesus spoke when he was speaking of end times. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats, but it's really about people. So listen, we're starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. How you treat others is evidence of your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. It's a reflection of your love for Jesus. Those who love those whom they can see, those whom they find in desperate need are loving their master. Notice he didn't say, it's like loving me, or it's like feeding me. You fed me. You clothed me. Those who love little show no pity, no mercy, no concern. They're not servants of the Most High. They are not sons and daughters of the Father born of faith in his son Jesus because those who are born of God care for those around them. How much does this matter? It matters more than anything else. The consequences of the choice that you make concerning faith in Jesus are eternal. Those who turn away from him, those who don't pass along the grace that God has given to them, they're not saved. Those who turn to Jesus by faith and who love much will enjoy eternal life. Is Jesus' message to concern yourself not at all 
with when the end will come? Not exactly. He encourages you and me to give ourselves completely to his kingdom, to do what he gives us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit while we watch for his coming and anticipate it with eagerness. When you see the signs of his coming, keep loving others. When you're almost 100% sure he won't be back for decades, use your gifts for his glory. Employ every ability that he's given for the good of others while you keep your eyes open staring east. Keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. Keep watch means putting your faith in Christ and doing what he's given you to do. Are you hearing what the master commands? Don't miss what God said. Pay attention. Keep watch, be ready, and obey him every single day of your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy, for your grace. We thank you that uh, you've provided the way so that these warnings are not for us, but that we're encouraged to, to follow you, and that you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, if we give ourselves to you. God, help us this week to be faithful servants of yours. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to work in us and through us this week. Help us to know what you're doing and see it and join you in it. Now, God, I pray that you'd give us a heart to hear your voice as we reflect on what you've said to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.